thank you, Lord, for our night tonight. Uh, God, thank you so much uh, for your word. And I pray, God, that you would um, speak to us tonight. Challenge us, Lord, and stretch us a bit. Uh, Lord, open our eyes uh, to your truth. And I pray, God, that as you're faithful to do that, that we would be faithful to be doers of what we hear and not just hearers only. So we thank you for that and put our night in your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so Acts, we're going to work our way to Acts chapter 8. You know, Sunday morning we were, did kind of a capsulated view of Acts 6 and 7. So I want to uh, start with a quote by Victor Hugo, right? He said, there's one thing stronger than all the armies in the world, and that is an idea whose time has come. So we know that the gospel is, is, of Jesus Christ is, um, is a lot more than just an idea. But when it was time for it to come, it was the, you know, it, it came. It came and there was nothing, that gonna, nothing was going to stop it. You know, I was thinking about this and, you know, the gospel really doesn't need any defending. And, you know, I, I was really thankful that Pastor Rob took the direction he did this morning. Because, you know, reading through the book of Acts, that was one thing that the first century church didn't have to worry about. You know, they weren't consumed with how it was going to end. They were more concerned and overjoyed about how it was happening, how it was starting, how, um, you know, the things that God was doing. And I think that um, maybe here in the United States of America, we're um, so distracted by what's going on around us. We're not seeing what God is doing in the church, what God wants to do in the church. You know, it's just a huge distraction. So I was glad that Pastor Rob kind of went in that direction because it does, we do need reminding to, you know, get back focused on what's important. These, you know, the first century church, they didn't, um, they didn't have that problem. They didn't have to defend the gospel. Um, you know, it, it, it didn't need to be, uh, it didn't need to um, a representative, the defendant, to say, you know, anything. It doesn't need defending. I don't, I don't even know if I can explain it. All we're called to do is share it. God will do the rest. I mean, that's, the outcome has always been up to God. We just need to be faithful to share the word, right? And that's it. I mean, we don't, don't get carried away with that. Listen, um, Romans 1, verses 16 and 17, you guys are so familiar with this verse, these two verses, it says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of it. I don't need to defend it. I don't need to make excuses for it. No way. Why would I? Why would I? For it's the power of God, the salvation for everyone who believes. The Jew first and also the Greek, we understand that. For it is, for it is or for in it is, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So I hear a lot of conversation about the church being in decline. You know, and um, there's a generation out there now, and I'm not, I don't know all the, the age groups of, 
the, you know, of each generation, you know, I don't even know which one I'm in. I think I'm in the baby boomer. I'm in one of them. But there's a generation out there now that they're labeling the nun generation. That have their younger group of people, they have no interest in church. No interest in spiritual things. None of it is relevant anymore to them. So if the church is in decline, I'm not 100% sure about that. All I know is that um, it's, really not, um, it's really not a concern of ours either. I mean, if it's in decline, if that's what the, I don't know, the people who take these census and where they get this information, I'm not sure. But that's, I mean, that's the, that's the rumor I'm hearing, that people are, st- they're not going to church anymore. So, uh, I don't know. So we should close up the doors and just leave? Close the church, Pastor Rob, go back to Xerox. They say the church is in decline, you know. Or, but, you know, you know, who cares what they say? You know, I, there's so many distractions out there that, you know, the enemy is great at that, right? So I say, you know, all the statistics, you know, all the things you hear, take them with a grain of salt, and just remember what God has called you to do. He's called you to be a witness. He's called you to be a light. He's called you to share the gospel. So don't, 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 let, it, um, don't let it get you down. Because think about it. In the first century, um, we're getting to the chapter 8, right? What happens in chapters, chapter 8? The persecution of the church, right? The church is in decline. They're trying to eliminate it. Are they trying to eliminate the church today? Pretty much. I mean, I'm sure Mark, uh, Andrew Cuomo would be happy if all of the church, if every church, every Christian left the state because, you know, we're cramping his style. You know, so, um, you know, that's the first century church. They didn't, um, it, it seemed like they didn't care about the persecution. And we're going to see it in chapter 8. Uh, persecution came. They went everywhere, that they, every direction that they could go preaching the word. If the persecution and the concern about the church being in decline back then was an issue, I don't think it affected the church. Somebody forgot to tell them that persecution was a bad thing for the church. Because evidently it wasn't. And it was all part of God's plan. It was all part of God's plan. So, (laughs) chapters 6, 7, and 8. Chapter 8 is like the pivotal point because now the church is going to leave Jerusalem. Okay, the church is going to leave Jerusalem. And, um, you know, Stephen, we talked about this Sunday morning. Stephen's life really changed all of that. And I want to just remind you that Stephen was just an ordinary guy picked out of the multitude of believers, right, in chapter 6, just like one of us. And, you know, he, he, changed, he changed the whole scope of uh, the book of Acts. God used him at this pivotal point. So we're going to look at that a little. There's a few things I want to, well, there's a quote that I want to get to. You know, in, in chapter 8, we're going to see that the church leaves Jerusalem and spreads through Judea and Samaria, just as the Lord commanded them. And, you know, nothing was going to stop that. 
And we need to have that same mindset today. Regardless of what you hear, nothing, nobody is going to stop God's plan for the church. So everything, you know, the stuff we heard this morning, there's nobody that is going to get in the way of those things that are prophesied. In fact, God is going to use instruments, the people that are here on this planet, just like he's done throughout biblical history, to get his will accomplished. Right? And in the, in the book of Acts, they were, Peter, in the beginning of the book of Acts, when one of his sermons, he, he tells the religious leaders, they just, they just did what God had already predetermined to do. It was all in the plan. So nobody is going to stop the church, us. So when you hear a decline in the church, you hear different things about the church, hey, you know what? Just take it with a grain of salt and remember what God's called you to do. All right, don't, I mean, it, it, that's God's business, what happens and how it happens. But looking at the, at the book of Acts, you know, what was the secret? You know, there's a, there's a book that we, I don't think we have it in the bookstore anymore, but it was They Found the Secret was the name of the book. And it was a, a bunch of Christian um, guys, you know, in history that recorded um, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, the change that it made in their life. But, you know, what was it? What was the secret um, to the first century church? Now, I, you know, if I could tell you for certain what it was, I would write books and things like that. So I'm going to give you my opinion, right, to give you a thought of what it could be. I could tell you what it wasn't, though. It wasn't keynote speakers. It wasn't megachurches. It wasn't um, the latest Hillsong worship music that was out there. It wasn't anything to do with that. It had nothing to do with that. And I've shared this, I mean, I've kind of like been harping on this, but it was ordinary believers, born again, filled with the Holy Spirit and power, People, men and women, who believed the word of God and acted on it, it didn't matter how they felt because they knew the God that said it. They knew that the God who wrote the book, the author of the book, they know that he was faithful to keep his word. And it's no different for us today. It's no different for us today. Sure, we complicate it. Um, we recycle Christians from different churches depending on you know, which church seems like the in-church to be in or, you know, what the attraction seems to be. Um, you know, and it would be great if, if it was, a, you know, a lot of people were getting saved, but it doesn't, you know, it almost seems like people are just switching churches because, well, they have a better youth group or they have a better worship team or, you know, and it's not, um, it's, it's really not effective ministry. I'm not saying it's not effective. I didn't mean to scratch that from the tape. Because there are, there are some good ministries. There are good ministries. What I'm saying is that, you know, God's called us out to the world to win the lost. You know, and sometimes church is entertainment and it's not, you know, preparing the saints to go out and win the lost. But it, I'm sure that there's a, there's a lot of them that are. I just feel like I got myself into this hole. Anybody listening to this tape, I'm not throwing stones. But this is something, I found this quote, and I, I think it really is relevant today. And, um, you know, when I, I talk about revival, I understand revival starts with us, okay? So just listen to this quote. Revival is merely the intensification 
of the normal operations of the Holy Spirit, that which is conviction of sin, regeneration, sanctification, and assurance of salvation, through ordinary means of grace, preaching the word, prayer, okay? It is, he is not typically doing this, the, the revival is not typically doing a new thing as much as he is pouring great power on the normal things faithful Christians are already doing. Prayer becomes more intense, worship becomes more joyous, repentance becomes more sorrowful, and the preached word yields greater effect. The Spirit of God multiplies the effectiveness of our normal work of seed planting. Our, and when I, let me give, break that one down for you. Normal seed planting is day-to-day life, right? When do you guys plant seeds? At work, at the grocery store, wherever, right? Wherever you go, okay? Bringing a bountiful harvest. And, you know, that does more in a moment than we can accomplish in a lifetime. But let me read that again and just think about what I'm saying. Revival is merely the, the intensification of the normal operations of the Holy Spirit. We're looking for new, something that, you know, fresh. You know, we hear all these words about doing, you know, making the gospel fresh, making it relevant. And this guy is saying, you know what, the Holy Spirit wants to intensify just the normal operation of what he's doing. You know, if, you, if people are convicted of sin, you know, I mean, you hear what I'm saying? Just let the Holy Spirit do what he has to do, what, he, what, he, what his ministry is. Conviction of sin, regeneration and sanctification, assurance of salvation, through the ordinary means of preaching the word of God, prayer, and in his quote he has, et cetera, but think about it. Through the ordinary means, preaching the word of God, just preaching the word of God plainly, simply, you know, line by line, you know, chapter by chapter, book by book, just preaching the word of God. It's amazing, right? Preaching the word of God. How could it be so simple? And prayer. Okay, he's not typically doing a new thing as much as he is pouring out great power on the normal things faithful Christians are already doing. God wants to, he wants to anoint what we're ordinarily doing, day to day, right? Anybody, anybody convicted of sin today, right? Regeneration, sanctification, we're all in that process of being regenerated, sanctified, um, Assurance of salvation, I could always use a little extra assurance of my salvation, especially depending on what kind of day I'm having, right? Oh, all right, you guys, does anybody have a bad day out there? Or is it just, all right, Pastor Rob does. No, and, and it's just, you know, the Holy Spirit isn't doing anything new. He's just pouring great power into the normal, faithful Christian, you know, things that we're doing already. And really, when, you know, when you do that, when you just allow the Holy Spirit to have his way, Prayers become more intense. Worship becomes more joyous. Repentance becomes more sorrowful. And the preached word yields greater effect. That's what we need. We need the effect 
that comes from preaching the word of God. You know, it's not about feeling good is good. And we should feel good about our faith and who we are in Christ. But you know what? Sometimes when you preach the word, you leave excited still, but a little convicted, right? When God puts his finger on something in your life and there is that conviction, we can't walk out and say, gee, I'm not coming back, man. I feel horrible. Well, you know, sometimes God, it's imper- you know, God makes you feel horrible for a reason. You know, I remember being a kid and being sent to my room. I never thought it was great, but there was a reason for it. You know, God always has a purpose and a reason for the things he allows in our life. So it's, it's food for thought. As you read through the book of Acts, think about this stuff. You know, I wanted to say this the right way or else I'll be having to have to, have to take something else off the tape. Oh, what was that? All right, it'll come to me. If I'm supposed to say it, it'll come to me. But it's food for thought when, as you're reading through the book of Acts. Okay, and I said this um, Sunday morning, and I just want to repeat it. Um, you know, guys, we need to get to the place where we understand it's, it's not about our abilities. Okay, it's about our availability to be used by the Holy Spirit. You know, a lot of times we think that, you know, I don't have the talent or, I, you know, I'm not ready. You know, you know what makes you ready? As soon as you say, Lord, I'm available. Here I am, God, use me. That's, you know, that's taking a step of faith, right? God can accomplish more through one believer cooperating with the Holy Spirit than with all of the dazzling array of talent assembled anywhere in the world. All you got to do is say, Lord, I'm available. Send me, I'll go. That's what Stephen did. That's what Philip did. That's what the seven guys that were chosen in Acts chapter 6, just guys out of the multitude asked, multitude asked to serve, and they said, sure, I'll serve. I'll make myself available. And look what God did through some of their lives. It's amazing. It's amazing. So Acts chapter 7. We're going to just kind of cruise through like a flyby through Acts chapter 7. And um, let me see what time it is. All right. Acts chapter 7. Stephen, right? Chapter 6 ends with um, Stephen being falsely accused, just like Jesus was. Same, you know... There's nothing new under the sun. What they accused Jesus of, they accused Stephen of. And uh, it's just funny. It's, it, when they look at him, in, in verse 15 of chapter 6, it says, And all who sat in the council looked steadfastly at him and saw his face as the face of an angel. Um. So they're looking steadfastly at him. I'm sure that they didn't, um, they didn't have the, the look of a face of an angel on them. I'm sure that they had a pretty stern look. But, you know, he had the face of an angel. I really believe that Stephen knew that, hey, what, you know, what was about to, to happen. Um, you know, his, 
what he was going to respond back to these guys. He had a peace with all of that. And it's, it's interesting, he doesn't defend the gospel. He doesn't make a defense for himself. And it's just, a, just man, it's, just, it's exciting to see that. You know, we don't need it. We don't need to make excuses. So his response, it's, it's the long, it's, his defense is the longest discourse in the book of Acts. And it's a selective lesson in Old Testament history. Including, uh, and this is what it includes. He touches on Abraham. He touches on Joseph. Touches on Moses. And then he kind of ends it with Israel's apostasy towards the end of the chapter. And um, it's cut short when Stephen applied his history lesson to Israel's present rejection of the Messiah. You know, at that point, then it got a little, um, it, things went south, right? Stephen's response to the charges by, he responds to the charges by turning them on his accusers. They were the ones who really disobeyed God because they rejected um, his appointed leaders. But as you go through chapter 7, what I want you to, to look at as you go through is from the beginning of chapter 7, even in verse 1 where it says, the high priest said, are these things so? So he's, they're asking him to give account, you know, and it's funny how he, he just ignores the question and just gets into the history. But, you know, he's talking about our fathers did this, our father Abraham. Our, you know, he's including him, you know, himself with them. And then when you get to... When you get to chapter verse 51, he, you know, he changes the narrative and it goes from our, he kind of takes himself out of the equation and now it's all you or your. So listen what he says in verse 51 um, through 53. He says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart, and ears, you always resisted the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. You know, and it's interesting because I'm thinking to myself, Peter, I mean, Stephen makes this difference now. And I'm thinking, you know, he was saying all up to this point, our fathers, our fathers. And it's almost like he's saying back to these guys, you know, our fathers, including his dad, maybe in his, his you know, all of his ancestors, and then he's saying, when push came to shove and Jesus came, my ancestors, they knew that it was the Messiah. Right? Stephen saved, right? And, and I'm kind of reading into it, but, you know, I'm thinking maybe the rest of his family, because that they were good Jewish, God-fearing people, 
recognized the Messiah and got saved. And I think he's drawing a line in and saying, and saying, hey, you know what? It's you and your fathers, the people that should have never missed it, missed it. You know, all of the priests. The, you know, he's talking to the Sanhedrin, right? He's talking to the leadership of the Jewish people. And he's saying, and that's all right through, a lot of it is hereditary, right? So he's telling them that, you know, I think, this is just me thinking through it. And he's drawing that line in the sand and saying, hey, it was, it was you guys. It was your, your fathers that did it. And now it's, you're the ones that have murdered the Messiah. You know, he just lays it out there for them. And then, of course, you know what happens? And this will lead us into... Um, in the chapter 8, it says in verse 54, And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. So I don't know how that translates into today's jargon, but it looked like, um, you know, in some of the cartoons, when, well, when I was a kid, when the, the people that were getting chased by the mean, real mean people, they had all these real ugly looks on their face, their teeth were sticking out. You know, it just looked really gross. But, you know, these guys were upset. These guys were upset. And you know what? They, um, they're convicted. This is what conviction looks like when you just can't stand it anymore. Okay? But he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, and we mentioned that Sunday morning, this is the most... This is used the most to describe Stephen's character throughout chapter 6 and 7. What a reputation to have. What a way to describe a person being filled with the Holy Spirit. But what a privilege that is. You know, what a heritage. Um, so, but being um, full of the Holy Spirit, he doesn't even look at these guys. You know, <laughs> you know that, that you know, my strength comes from above. You know, I mean, he, he doesn't, you know what? He doesn't care. That they, I mean, he is just, he's, you know, he's just so at peace. And I don't, I don't know how, but when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it's, it's the fruit of the Spirit, right? So he's saying, but he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. Wow. The, he probably never saw a stone coming. Just my guess. He gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. You know, usually it references that Jesus are sitting at the right hand of God. And, you know, sometimes, and this is, you know, I grew up on the west side, you know, little, in a rough neighborhood. Um, when I think of this verse standing, I think Jesus is standing and saying, God, let me just go down there, Father. Let me go down there and just stay, save, you know, let me go set the record straight right now. Because he knew it was going to happen. You know, Stephen was going to be martyred. And I, and I, you know, and I'm probably not right. But it's uh, like I, I just look at him. I think, you know, Jesus wants, he's standing up. He's upset. He wants to do something. That's just me. You know, you guys can look at it a different way, but. He does, he's usually not standing much at the right hand of the Father. But, you know, he's seeing, um, you know, Stephen just stand in the gap, just like he did. Just like he did. Remember Sunday morning, that last, um, that last conviction that we talked about with Stephen? That, um, you know, as Jesus was to us, we should be to others. 
That's what Stephen was doing. He was standing in the gap. He was standing in the gap. So, um, and he said, look, Stephen says, look, I see the heavens open, and I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And that was it. When you talk about the straw that broke the camel's back, they just flipped out. They just flipped out, you know. And But it's just, you know, here's Stephen. He's not, you know what, he's not defending the gospel. He's not making excuses for it. He's standing up for it. He's speaking the truth in love. You know, and think about it. Just because these guys mishandled what he said doesn't mean that he caused this response. I mean, this is all, this is all, um, you know, the, just the hypocrisy of these men, of the religious leaders. Stephen, I feel, you know, gave these guys this history lesson and turned it around on them so they could see their mistakes, their error, and repent. You know, God's in the, you know, he's, I mean, I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure that these guys, they had the opportunity to repent. I'm sure this wasn't the outcome Stephen was hoping for. But nevertheless, he was going to share the truth in love. And he trusted the Lord for the results. So they cried out with a loud voice. Stop their ears. In other words, they can't handle it anymore. Don't, we're not, you know, we're not going to listen to it anymore. And there's people that do that. You know, the people, they don't want to hear the gospel, right? It gets them upset. They get angry. I don't know why. But it says, and they cast him out of the city, and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And we talked about that Sunday, similar to what Jesus said when he was on the cross. And then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. Another phrase from the cross with Jesus. And then he said, and, as, and then when he had said this, he fell asleep. He fell asleep, went home to be with the Lord. And you know what? Jesus was probably right there just hugging him, welcome home. <coughs> so I, th- I see a few things with Stephen. I mean, think about this. I mean, the, and when you get a chance tonight, read, read chapter 7 again. Because in Paul's first discourse that he's going to give, in um, Acts 13, it's similar to what Stephen um, said in Acts 7. So there's a little bit to be gleaned from this. Um, You know, Stephen, even though in his dying last message, had an effect on Paul or Saul at that time. So, you know, the things that we say, the things that we share, sometimes we think, you know, I don't even know why I said that. You know, God uses stuff like that. Don't ever, don't ever doubt when you share the gospel. Or don't, you know, don't, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Or, you know what, just say what God puts on your heart. 
just say what God puts on your heart. Let him, let him deal with the rest. Let him bring the conviction. Let him do with it what he wants. You know, Stephen just laid it out there. Sure, he wanted these guys to repent. They didn't. They, they ended up killing him. But you know what? His life made a difference in Saul's life. It, you know, just hearing what he heard. Another thing I think about Stephen is he was a, a good young Jewish boy. I mean, he knew his Bible. For him to go through that history like that and to tie it all together and to weave it, weave it in so he can, you know, in a, in a way confront the leadership with, with their sin and point that out to them. And as believers, um, you know, we don't need to be know-it-alls, but we, we do need to be good students of the Bible. We need to know our Bible. We, know, we need to know why we believe what we believe. You know, that's all part of having an answer for people when they ask you questions. Stephen was, Stephen, God used him in this situation, and he was ready. He was ready. You know, God wants to use you, and I just want to encourage you. Um, take your time in the Word seriously. You know, just don't read over stuff. Like even Acts, we're, we're going to look at Acts chapter, well, we're going to get there. We're going to read it and read a couple verses out of Acts chapter 8. But sometimes people just read over this beginning of Acts chapter 8, and it's critical to church history because now the Word of God is going to go to the Samaritans, right? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the world. You know, this is critical. This is a critical part of the book of Acts. So, you know, when you get to these, like, and when you get to chapter 10, you know what? Park in these chapters. Park, you know, study this, this time in Acts history because it's all pivotal, pivotal to the church. And when you're sharing the gospel, it's really, it's nice to know this stuff. It's nice to know this stuff. So um, there's a lot to learn from Stephen. I think he was a, he, he knew his faith. And I think when the gospel was preached on the day of Pentecost, he repented because he saw it. He saw it. You know, Pastor Rob shared stuff today that's going to be happening. You know, as a believer, God will give you discernment. You know, God will show you things that you need to, to see. But, you know, you have to know what the word, you got, you got to be in the word to know it. Right? I mean, he's, he's got to work with something. <laughs> so you got to have something there. It would be nice if you could... Put your Bible under your pillow at night and just wake up in the morning and just have it all there. But, um, you know, you got to read it. you got to study it. You have to pray. But Stephen was a disciple. You know, he was a disciple. And, you know, when he got saved, I, you know, you, man, just think of, the, think of his mind and just the way the Lord revealed stuff to him. That, could, that, could be, that is us. That is us. All right, so Acts chapter 8 centers around four different people, four different men. Okay, Saul, Saul, Philip, Simon the sorcerer, and the Ethiopian eunuch. Whoa, the Ethiopian eunuch. I thought that step was a little higher. But just thinking about Saul, there's, you know, there's four different men and, and four different people in four different situations. You know, Saul, he's, um, you know, he's a hard hearted Pharisee that looks at the church as, um, you know, as heresy. You know, this, 
these Christian movement, these Jesus people are, you know, attacking Judaism, trying to displace, you know, a faith that he held dear, right? Trying to get rid of Moses, trying to do away with the temple. Man, you know, these guys are radicals. You know, he hated the church. And, you know, there's a lot of people like that today. Hate the church. Don't want nothing to do with the church. And, you know, sometimes we write those people off. So we don't pray for them. We don't share the gospel with them. You know, they're just a uh, lost cause, right? You know, you can't think that way. You know, Uncle Tony or whatever, you know, you think never going to want to hear the gospel. You know, I felt that way about my cousin Vinny. <laughs> and I know it's not a joke either. Um, but, you know, really. But, um, you know, some stuff happened in his life, and it was just cool to be able to share the gospel with him and, you know, him to accept the Lord. And, you know, we never know. I mean, I'm sure nobody thought that Saul was going to be who he was. But, hey, you know what? It's just amazing. So don't, if there's anybody on your list of people to pray for that you have put a line through, said, no, never happened, get, write his name back on the, on the list. And then if you even doubt that, look in the mirror, because who would have thought, did you ever think you'd be saved? I mean, seriously, I mean, I, we're glad now that we are, right? But the thing is, I never, you know, I never had any, I never had any thought of being saved. And I never, I thought, never thought I could. I mean, why would God, you know, why would he want to save me, right? I mean, I don't, that was the, the thought I had. I had low self-esteem issues. All right, are you guys out there? It wasn't that funny? No, all right, well, you throw something at me then if it's not funny. All right, but don't, you know, don't, hey, don't write people off. Because you know what? God never did that, never does that with anyone. You know, we seal our own fate as people. I mean, the, the, you know, it's out there. If you want to accept it, fine. But God's not forcing anybody. But God's not giving up on anybody. He's not giving up on anybody. And so we can't do that. Stephen didn't give up on these guys. He gave them an opportunity. He didn't even give up on them while they were taking his life. He still prayed for them. So don't give up on anybody. And we're going we're gonna to get to Saul. Philip. I like Philip because Philip is like, he could be like us. Or we could be like him. Right? He gets saved. Starts getting in ministry. And, you know, God starts using him. And, you know, God does some really cool things through Philip's life. Some of it's recorded. And then there's a gap till you get towards the end of Acts. And then you see that he's living up in Caesarea, and he has four daughters. They're, prophet, prophets, they're prophets, right? So his, um, his, his life, he had lived a very productive life for the ministry, right? But he started out, hey, he was just a, another guy in the multitude that God chose to do one thing. And, you know, it wasn't, um, it wasn't this glamorous thing to do either. It was ministering to, to the widows. And, you know, I mean... I better not say this. I was just all, you know, but sometimes older women could be a challenge, right? That's all I'm saying, you know. Smile on me. I wasn't talking about 
but I, I don't even know if I should have said that. But you know, just think of, okay, let's pray. <laughs> it just could have been, it could have been an, a difficult job because, you know, you, you have the Hellenists and the Hebrews, and they didn't like each other as it was. So it would be like having, like, oh, stop. I was going to say, like, Irish and Italians trying to get together, but forget it. Forget it. Anyway, it, just, it took a special kind of person to do this job. But, Philip, but, you know, God's called us to do whatever. Philip was up for it. He did it. And, you know, he just had a heart to serve the Lord. And I think we can all relate to that, right? We get saved, and, you know, we, whatever it is, God, we'll do it. And I'm sure, hey, has God called you to do some things that were uncomfortable, right? No? Well, he's called me to do stuff at times that has been very uncomfortable. But, you know, you do them. You do them. And Philip, that's, that's just, a, for me, when I see Philip, I think, you know, God, you know, thank you for putting him in the word. Thank you for recording his life because um, we need to see that. We need to see that God just takes regular people. And as long as they're available, God will use them. And that's what I see when I see Philip. Just a guy committed to the little things. And when he was, you know, he was committed to do those little things, God gave him bigger things to do. That's how it works. If we're faithful in a little, God will give you more. And, you know, and I know I, we, don't, we don't do it for that. Right? We do the little because God's asked us to do it. So if God's asking us to minister to the widows and help them with their finances or make sure that they're getting the food they need or the care that they need, then so be it. You know, but it wasn't a glamorous position or a glamorous job, but he did it. He did it because God called him to do it. Somebody tapped him on the shoulder to do it. And I, I pray that you guys really see the connection between us and Philip, us and Stephen. God called him, and he was willing to go. Simon the sorcerer, well, there's um, Simon's in the church, and Simon's out of the church. You know, and we know that Simon, once he saw that Peter and John prayed for the folks who got saved, and they received the Holy Spirit, and he saw the power in that, um, you know, that's what he was looking for. Because, you know, he, they already thought he was a man from God, right? So this would have really helped his um, resume. <laughs> if he had power like this, he could really do, I mean, he'd be set, right? But unfortunately, there's people in the church like that who um, seek for position, prominence. But, you know, there's no room for it in the church, and Peter really straightened Simon out, right? And we're going to see that. Peter just lets him have it, man. You know, it's all, you know, your heart's in the wrong place, man. Your heart's in the wrong place. And then the Ethiopian eunuch, he's an interesting guy. He's seeking the Lord, and we're eventually, we want, I mean, we're not going to get to him tonight. But, you know, just a, a guy searching, searching for the truth. You know, he's... Um, He's a, I don't know if he would be considered a God-fearer or a proselyte, but, you know, he's seeking the Lord through, seeking God through the Jewish faith and going, um, you know, to Jerusalem during uh, 
you know, Pentecost, you know, to the, you know, to the temple, and, and just wanting to know more about God. He's searching, and God puts somebody in his path, right, Philip? And think, you know, that the times that we were searching, I, I mean, I was, I was searching, I guess. I, I mean, I was more searching for a way out, way out of the, the situation I was in, but God used that to, to get my attention. And just like the Ethiopian eunuch, you know, I was really thankful that God had that person to lead me to the Lord. And, you know, there's people around us all day long that are searching for Christ. They're searching for God. They want a relationship with God. You know, and they might not be actually saying those words, but they're searching. You know, and maybe it, it's, it sounds a little different, like there's no peace in my life. There's no joy in my life. I have... I have all these things going on in my life, and I don't have any way, I don't have anyone to talk to, I don't have any release. You know, all of that is people searching, crying out for an answer, and Jesus Christ in the gospel is the answer. You know, and their problems might not all go away, but guess what? They just brought God into the equation. You know, when, when we're saved, right, we're filled with the Holy Spirit, things change. Things change. So like the Ethiopian eunuch, there's a lot of people out there, a lot of people out there that are, um, that are searching. You know, be a Philip to them. Hey, what are you reading? Or somebody's got an issue, hey, well, what are you doing about it? What do you do about it? Well, I pray. You pray. I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing. Prayer works. And, you know, when you put yourself out there, it's amazing what God will do. And I'll share this quick story, and then we'll look at Saul. Years ago when I worked for the county, we were, I was doing a job. We were welding a bunch of pipe out at Shalott. And I worked um, with this friend of mine, and um, he was going through some issues. But, you know, we were praying together, and he was coming to church with me, and things were really going well. So we're eating lunch one day, <coughs> and he says, could we pray for my sister-in-law? She has cancer. So I said, sure. So we prayed every day that week at lunch. We prayed for his sister-in-law. So five years later, I go to the doctor, and I'm checking in. So you know when you check in, you give your name and all that. So um, the lady that's taking my information, she said, Dave Barbero. Did you used to work for the county? You work for the county? I said, yeah. I said, do you know my, my brother-in-law, Steve? I said, yeah, yeah, we work together. He says, well, I'm the sister-in-law that you guys prayed for, and God healed me of my cancer. And, you know, it, believe me, we had, it, well, I think God just showed us that, just to, showed me that, just to say that, Hey, just keep praying. Just keep doing that. But, you know, I'm sure that there were a lot of people praying that God was just gracious to this woman. But the point I'm trying to make is, you know, you never know. When you start praying with people, when you, let, when you, when you show them that there's another way, it's amazing what, what God will do. So, you know, don't, you know, don't, ever, don't second guess this. You know, a lot of things you got, it's trial and error. God put something on your heart. 
Take a step of faith. You know, if it's not the Lord, the door will shut, right? You know, what about Jen when she's, Jen Dolly, she's cooking breakfast for her kids. God puts something on her heart, and she goes and finds that girl who's been lost for, you know, through the overnight. I mean, you never know. You never know. Uh, and you know what? It's all, it's all part of the experience of being, a, of being a Christian, right? Sometimes you, 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 know, you get it right, and sometimes you don't. But don't, don't let that stop you. All right, so Saul. And I don't know how far we'll get, because we really are. All right, let's just talk a little bit about Saul, and then we'll, we'll call it a night. The first three verses in chapter 8. Now Saul was consenting to his death, Stephen's death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So, um, you know, God uses persecution to, like, scatter these guys out. And the apostles, they stay in Jerusalem because somebody's got to stay there and hold down the fort, right? while everybody else is leaving. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and, a great, and made great lamentations over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. So, like I said, who would have thought that Saul would ever get saved? Don't... Um, Don't underestimate or limit what God can do in a person's life. So there's an awful lot of information out there about Saul. And I I guess I want to share this just to to show you that it it really doesn't make a difference how how convicted a person is or convinced that they're right, that, you know, that God can always change a heart. God can always change a mind. And, you know, we have no idea, and I, I guess I never think of this, and it's been coming to my, more, my mind more often. I never think about the person that I'm sharing with, you know, what God is going to do with that person's life if they get saved. I mean, think of the person who must have wit- the witness to Billy Graham or something. Who'd ever thought that, you know, that Billy Graham, you know, did, did he ever think that? You know, he's just sharing the gospel. But, hey, you never know. You never know what God's going to do with that person and with their life. (coughs) So let's look at a little bit of Paul's um, history, if you will. So we know that he was born in Tarsus in Cilicia. Acts 22.3 says, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in the city at the feet of Gamiel, taught according to taught according to the strictness of our father's law and was zealous towards God as you all are today. You know, and he's addressing Jewish leaders. He says that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews in Philippians 3.5, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews concerning the law, a Pharisee. So you get the idea. Paul was... Um, he was a hardliner, man. He was, he was hardcore Jewish Pharisee. Acts 23.6, the son of a Pharisee, 
But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead. I am being judged. And of course, he played, that was like, um, you know, ace in the hole for him because he at least could get the Pharisees on his side, right? So he's a pretty smart guy. Acts 16.37 tells us that uh, Paul was a Roman citizen. Remember, they, were, they, throw him in the, they threw him into prison and then they wanted to let him out secretly. And he said, no, no, once they found out that he was a Roman citizen, he wasn't going to go with the flow. He was educated in Jerusalem by Gamaliel. Measured by the law, his life was blameless. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness, which is of the law, Paul considered himself blameless. He was one of the most promising Pharisees in Jerusalem, Galatians 1.14. You can jot that down. Saul's zeal for the law was displayed most vividly in his persecution of the church. Galatians 1.13, For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. You know, I could go on and on, but... I mean, here's a guy, hardcore, hardcore. And I could think of, um, I could think of some people that um, are hardcore that I don't even know and I don't like because I see them on TV and I hear some of the things that they say and it just kind of irritates you. But you know what? Um, I, would, um, I would love to have an opportunity to share the gospel with them. And, you know, and it doesn't make a difference. And I think part of it is part of the reason why I think um, for me and, you know, I could probably watch a lot less of some of the news on TV. But it really, um, it really affects my, um, it affects my opinion of people. And then it gets me in the flesh because then I, you know, I don't really think, you know, I think like, what a jerk, or how could somebody, you know, and, I, and I, you know, and I know that sounds innocent, but really, you know, I should be praying for for people instead of getting caught up like that. And I, you know, I think of Saul's and who's who, you know, who's praying for Saul? There has to be a bunch of people praying for Saul to get saved as they're dragging their relatives off. You know, praying. You know, I just, you know, sometimes you, you just want to get into their shoes and see what it was really like, but. You know, just be careful what you think of what you allow to get in your head about people. Because if I saw some of these folks on the street, I would pray that my heart would be right to share the gospel with them. You know, hand them a track. And, you know, because really, once they get saved, I mean, look at, look at Paul. He got saved and he became, went from Saul to Paul. You never know. And I don't know why I said that, but. Hey, if you run across a politician you don't like on the street, love him in the name of Jesus, hand him a track, because you know what? He needs the Lord. They need the Lord. You know, just think how the, Washington might be a different place if it was a little more Christ-centered, if the focus was off all the craziness, but okay. All right, you know what? The next time I'm privileged to speak, we're going to pick up on X, chapter 8, verse 3. 
But just food for thought, guys. You know, and if I could leave you with anything tonight. You know what? We got to get to the place where we own our faith. Where we realize that, you know, God... God is, is in, into the ordinary. He's into the, hey, we're, the, we're part of the multitude. We're part of the assembly. We're part of the body of Christ. And you know what? It's interesting that every body part has a function. So find out what your function is in the body of Christ. And then do it to the best of your ability. You know, Sure, we're, make yourself available, but you know God has gifted you. God has given you um, a gift. God has given you gifts. Find out what they are and use them for the kingdom of God. Use them to leverage your faith. And you know what? Be to the world, really. What Jesus was to you, be to the world. You know what? So go out there and, and sacrifice yourself a little bit for the world. Go out of your way to, to share with that coworker. You know, pray on your way to work. You know, put yourself in a position where you can see God work. Because that's what it's all about, right? It's all about seeing God's, you know, just seeing the activity of God around us, in, in our community, where we're working, what we're, in our families. Right? We, that's what we, we want to see God at work, right? We want to see God working in, in Penfield. You know, I can't wait till the weather changes. We can get back out into the community. We can do some outreaches here in the parking lot. You know, we really, really believe that God really wants us to have a, a reach into Penfield. And, you know, I'll, I'll tell you one thing, and it's already starting. Because, you know, we've had um, some issues with the sign, you know, just, you know, different things back and forth with the town. But, you know, the, the leadership had decided, you know what, we just want to be a witness to the town. So we just prayed, and we just said, you know what, Lord, you, you help us just figure it out, and it's all going to work out, but we don't want to blow our witness to these guys. We want them to know that we're here, you know, and that we're a light. We don't want to be a pain. So anyhow, we prayed and prayed, and we redesigned this, and we redesigned that. I went and sat down and talked to Andy at the, at the town hall for a while, and, you know, we finally got to a point where we got it all figured out. And you know what? It's been a witness to them. We've just shared the love of the Lord with them. And it's, been, it's really been good. And that's the thing. You know, we want to we, we reach into this community. You know, we went around knocking on doors, and the lady over there in the corner, you don't know who the lady is over in the corner, but her fence was broke, and that was our responsibility. So she got a hold of Pastor Rob, and uh, Rob went over and talked to her. You know, just, it was really great. Two days later, we got the fence fixed. You know, just, we just want to be a witness. And that's, that's what it's all about. Stephen, Philip, these seven men that were chosen, the early church, you know what? They just wanted to be a witness for the Lord. You know, they, they knew all of, they, they they saw it all. They lived it. So, you know, for them, maybe was it a little easier? I don't know. But it still had to happen by faith. I mean, Stephen and Philip, you know, they probably didn't see Jesus resurrected, but they might have seen him in passing. They could have heard him speak. 
we have, the, you know, we have the privilege to meet with Jesus every day. We have the privilege to fellowship with him all day long. Right? I mean, he's in our heart. He's with us. He said he'd never leave us or forsake us. So we really have a, a really cool um, benefit with that. And so we need to avail ourselves to it. And I'll start rambling because I, I just like to talk about him. You know, it's just a lot of fun to talk about Jesus. But, hey, don't sell yourself short because God's going to use you. But you got to take that step. You got to just open your mouth. You got you to do something, right? You got to do something with somebody. Kabish? Kabish? All right, I love you guys. You guys are fun, but you know, you should perk up a little bit. I know it's Sunday. I was going to check the score of the last game for some of you guys that wanted to know the score, but I don't know what happened. But anyway, I, you know, I just get excited about it. I just want, you know, I, I pray you guys have a vision for this community, for this church. You know, God, is, God has you here, and, you know, there's a lot of things to do. So if God puts something on your heart and you want to get plugged in, please say something. Because there's a lot going on. There's a lot more that could be going on. Let God, would it, you know, let me, I want to just, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm going to just read this to you one more time because I like this. Um, I like the wording. This is what we need to let the Holy Spirit do. It's the intensification of the normal operations of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Through the ordinary means of grace, by preaching the word of God in prayer, he's not typically doing a new thing as much as he is pouring great power on the normal things faithful Christians are already doing. Let the Holy Spirit do that in your life. Let him... Let him pour great power into the things, the normal things that faithful Christians are already doing, your prayer life, your devotional life, and your witness. Let the Holy Spirit just work in you and through you as you just do that in the normal course of your day, and, um, and life will be pretty interesting. So let's pray. Lord, um, you know, I know I can go on and on sometimes, but I, I just pray these guys... Um, you know, that you just reach in their heart, Lord, and just let them know that, um, you know, you're in control and, and you, have, um, you have things that you, that you really have called us to do. And I pray that we would um, seek you, uh, Lord, that we would um, just apply our hearts to understand those things that you're speaking uh, to our hearts. God, um, help us to have um, a confidence that comes um, with us, when, you know, in us when we're filled with the Holy Spirit and with that power. And, you know, Stephen knew that. Stephen knew, uh, Lord, that he was um, filled with the Holy Spirit and power. He really believed that and walked out on it. And I pray, God, that we would believe your word, Lord, and act on it, um, no matter how we feel, because, God, we know that you promise a good result. So, God, I pray you would encourage us, Pray, God, that you would just light that fire within our hearts. Um, we just want to do, we just want to be faithful to do those things you've called us to do. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for the rest of our evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.